Thanks, Delena. Awesome. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Bunch of liars. No, I'm kidding. That was a joke. I'm sure you're doing great. I really am sure you're doing great. <laughs> Just trying to get a laugh there. <laughs> um, my name's Randy. I'm the teaching and prayer pastor here. It's a privilege to be with you. Glad we get to gather together. Um, got a couple of sort of family uh, announcements I want to make for the church here, and then we'll jump into the scripture for this morning. Um, some of you may have heard, well, you know that we are a part of a larger movement called the Association of Vineyard Churches, Vineyard USA. You know that we're a part of that. Some of you may have heard that one of the large and influential churches of our association is disassociating from the vineyards. The vineyard Anaheim, where John Wimber started things, uh, is pulling out of the vineyard. I know you're all looking at me with terrible shock. We kind of felt the same way. Um, we've had some communication from, from leadership in the vineyard. As far as we understand, there's no grievance. There's no big theological fight or anything. It's just the sense of the leadership of the Anaheim Vineyard that it's their call to move out. And so just wanted to let you know that's happening. You may see that out there in the news wherever you uh, fumble around. And um, as we understand it, it's, a, it's just a part of following Jesus, the next step. So we trust and honor those who've made, those de- made that decision, even though, honestly, it's just kind of a shock. Like, you know, they kind of feel like the mothership in some ways. So uh, continue to pray for Alan and Catherine Scott and the leadership of the Anaheim Vineyard, as well as Vineyard USA, as they try to navigate what does this mean. So just wanted to let you know that was happening. Um, how about happy news? Want some of that? Um, many of you know Mitch Crathwall. He's the short little guy. Um, he's the eight-foot-tall guy uh, that often stands right over there. He's been in the hospital with COVID for over three months, and he is home, um, which, which is amazing. A couple times when I saw Mitch, he didn't know I was there. He wasn't conscious, and so God has sustained him, is sustaining him, and uh, will continue to heal him. I can't wait to see his big self here soon. Um, So that's some good news. Um, I also want to pray for, uh, together, Nancy Rigstead. We sent Nancy and John Rigstead off to Switzerland a couple of weeks ago to help with Ignite Europe and lots of things that they're doing to assist refugees coming out of the uh, war-torn Ukraine. Um, We just got a text from Nancy that she tested positive for COVID yesterday. That's not fun when you're trying to care for lots of people and do lots of stuff. So I want to pray specifically for Nancy and for them. But even as I do that, um, it occurs to me that she's probably not the only one sick in our midst. So if you uh, are dealing with some sickness or, or someone in your family is struggling with sickness, could I ask you to stand? And we're just going to pray for anyone who might be sick or know of someone who is right now. Just stand. Okay. Let's pray. God, you know all things. You are the God of all power, the God of all love. And um, we ask now in the name of Jesus that you would bring your healing touch to those who are standing here, to those uh, on whose behalf they are standing. For Nancy in Switzerland, we ask in the name of Jesus, you'd release your healing power into her body. That for all that we're thinking of here this morning, that you would... um, Bring us into your wholeness, into your peace, that your power and love would so overshadow us that we would walk in health and healing. 
so that we might give you praise and glory all of our days. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Because we're a church that believes that God hears when we pray, you might just want to check yourself. If you, if you stood up and you were sick, God may have touched you. He does that. Um, and we're going to talk a lot about that in this morning's message. Um, I'm going to break most of the homiletical rules out there this morning, so I'm just warning you up front. My introduction is going to be about 90% of my message. So if you're like waiting around for me to get to it, don't because I won't until the very, very end, and you'll have missed the majority. Just trying to let you know what's going to happen here. So I want to read from Ephesians chapter 1. Um, why don't, I'm sorry to make you up and down. Let's all stand. As I read the scriptures this morning, this is the word of God to us from Ephesians chapter 1, 15 to 23. This is the word of the Lord. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I've not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he's given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. Amen. You can be seated. That is some good news. And that's why we're camping in that good news for six weeks during Lent. That's why we put out the devotional. If you've not gotten one of the devotionals, there are a few hard copies left out there. It's also a PDF download on the website and a podcast if you want to hear um, that being read as we camp out in this passage for a season so that we can live it out for a lifetime. I'm going to speak from Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, just uh, two verses, really one sentence of Paul, and we're going to focus on this morning the power of God, the power of God. I want to jump right in. Paul is asking that God would release to the Ephesians an understanding of the power that's available to, for those who believe. I think what Paul is saying is, I want you to understand the power for those who believe so that you believe. I don't think Paul's just saying, wouldn't it be cool to know more about God's power? I think Paul's saying, I want you to understand it so that you can believe it and that you can see it manifest in and through your life. So your, your natural question is, what are we believing for? What is the power for? And what's interesting is that in this prayer, Paul doesn't make it clear. Paul knows how to be clear. You know, here's what I'm praying for, here's what I want, and here's why. 
in this prayer, he doesn't say why he's praying that we would know the power. But I think in the rest of the book, in the first half of this chapter of Ephesians 1, that we can surmise what the power is for. So I want you to sort of sit back and hear the flow of Ephesians 1 and the rest of the book. And I just want to kind of um, give you the essence of why is it that Paul would ask God to release an understanding of power for those who believe so that they might believe? Why would we be so passionate about asking God for an understanding of power for those who believe so that we might believe and see his power in our lives? In other words, this sounds like a silly question, but what do we need God for, right? What do we need God's power for? In most of Paul's letters, you'll recognize that the first maybe half or so, first couple chapters of his letter are theological truths, are things to be known, understood, accessed, believed. And then the second half of his letter is usually the practical outworking of those theological truths. So you get all this truth at the beginning, and then Paul says, you want to know what that might look like in a life? Here's what I think you should do. And it's just like that in Ephesians Ephesians 1, 3 to 14 is a barrage of life-altering firepower. It's like a catalog of what we have in Jesus, and Paul just blasts it. In Greek, it's one sentence. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) And I will now do it in Greek. No, I won't. I can't. I just want you to, I don't want you to think, oh, I could if I wanted, and I can't. (laughs) Here's what Paul says, you know, um, what we have in Christ, how, what, what is, belongs to us because we belong to him. Every spiritual blessing in, in the heavenly realms we have access to. God loved us and he chose us before the foundation of the world. We have been chosen and loved be, before anything was. God knew that we would be and set his love upon us. He adopted us into his family out of pure joy. Forgiveness, redemption, union with Jesus resulting in an inheritance from God. The deposit of the Holy Spirit guaranteeing the full inheritance of being God's chosen people. The deposit of the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that was hovering over the formless void combined with the word of God and created all that is, that spirit has been deposited into you. It's resident within us. The spirit of God is here. Thank you, Merlin. The spirit of God is here right now. And so all of that so that God gets the praise and the glory. And then in chapter two and three, he just loads up on the believer. Mercy, redemption, salvation, union with Jesus, nearness to God through the blood of Christ, peace, reconciliation, membership in God's family, the privilege of becoming the habitation of God. You know, I, I think I said it in my, in my welcome this morning. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God's Spirit dwells right here in the midst of us. We have confidence, immediate and constant access to God's presence and favor. We have in Christ confidence, immediate 
and constant access to God's presence and God's favor. Through Christ, we have the wisdom of God. We are part of the eternal plan of God. That's just the fun stuff. Paul then goes into the practical instruction. So in other words, what do we need power for out there in the world? Here's how Paul sees it. We need power to lead a life worthy of God's calling. To live and to walk in humility, patience, unity, peace, um, our spiritual gifts, maturity, power to speak the truth in love, power to grow up in Jesus and become mature, power to grow in love, power to throw off our sinful nature and walk in increasing renewal of thought and attitude. And, and you, I'm sure you guys have all these so far, but if we need power to live out our new nature, to be righteous, to live in holiness, to stop telling lies, to stop being controlled by our anger, to stop stealing and start working hard, to give generously, to be pure in speech, to be an encouragement to others. We need power to let go of bitterness and rage and anger and harsh words and slander and evil. We need power to take on and to give away kindness, tenderheartedness, forgiveness. We need power to live, as Paul instructs us in Ephesians 5.1, to live a life of love as God's children. We need power to live in sexual purity, to bear the light of Jesus into the world, to be fully alive in Christ, to be full of the Holy Spirit and no other spirit, to be worshipful, thankful, submissive to one another out of reverence for Jesus, loving, committed, obedient, honoring, respectful, enthusiastically working for God's pleasure and glory, fervent, faithful, and powerful in prayer. That's why we need power. If all that's just completely natural to you and you did that this morning, then you don't need the power of God. But if you're human like me, you hear that, what we have been given and what we're called into, and you can understand why Paul says, God, give them power. Give them an understanding of the power that's for those who believe so that they will believe, so that this list would characterize the church of Jesus in this day. I mean, that is our calling, and we cannot do that by ourselves. We cannot do that without the power of God. So Paul's specific references to power in this letter to the Ephesians one is right here, Ephesians 1.15, this prayer. I give thanks to God and I pray for you that you would understand the incredible greatness of the power for us who believe. This is the power that raised Christ from the dead. This is the power that seated Christ at God's right hand. In other words, as I looked at that, it's like Paul saying, here's the power that's power over death. Here is the power that's power in the midst of life. And here is the power that's power over life. 
It brought Jesus from the dead. It sustained, sustained Jesus, and then it exalted him to be the name above all names, to be the power of all powers. That is the power that Paul says, hey, God, <laughs> I don't know, does he say, hey, God? Hey, God, would you give them an understanding of this power, what they have access to, because they believe. It's power in, through, under, and over every realm. That's what struck me most of all. When I read this verse in the context of the prayer, I thought, wow, this power is power in every realm. And what that means is that there is no realm in our lives that the power of God is not able to break into. There's no aspect of our life in human form, no aspect, no realm of our lives where the power of God is not able to be manifest because it is for us who believe. That means wherever you find despair, power is available. Wherever you feel exceptionally weak, power is available. Wherever you feel clueless and, and out of it and wondering and questioning, the power of God is available at that very place in your life. Ephesians 3.14, Paul uh, goes into another prayer. He says, I'm asking God to strengthen you with power in your innermost being to be with Jesus, to be rooted in his love. He says, I'm asking you would have power, ability, energy to grasp the extreme and the pervasive nature of God's love, how high God's love is for you, how wide God's love is, how deep it is, how long it is. Paul's saying, I want you to grasp love, that there's no place in your life that the love of God can't touch. That's what he wants us to know. He wants us to know this love, to experience this love, even though he says you can't understand it. But when we do, then he says you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. It's, you know, you get to a passage like that and you think, God, why did you put that in there? That just seems so extreme. But he says, when we know that love, when we're empowered to know that love, we'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. That is the invitation of God for us. That is what he wants us to walk in and to live in. And then in that prayer in Ephesians, it's like Paul sort of stumbles into praise. He's like speaking of God, praise God. Why? Because he's able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might think or ask. That's what God is able to do in us. Accomplish infinitely more than we might think or ask. What could you ask God to do? What might you imagine asking God to do in your life? Ad infinity. That's what Paul says. So think about what you might ask God for and then imagine like even more extreme what it might look like to ask God for something more. And then Paul just says, now add infinity. That's the power of God. 
And so he ends with glory to him in the church, glory to him in Christ Jesus in every generation, forever, infinity, I think is what he would say at the end of that. Amen. And then it's like after that explosion of praise in Ephesians 3, it's like Paul's so tired he has to take a nap. He just kind of, he ends the he ends the third chapter and it's just like, glory, amen. And then when he wakes up from his nap, in my imagination, then he gets down to the nitty-gritty and remembers where he is. And he says, I, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord. Because he's writing it from prison. All this power at his disposal, all this glory to Jesus and in the church forever and ever, amen, he's writing this from prison. Ephesians 6.10, Paul says, I've got a final word for you. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And then he explains what kind of uh, weaponry we have in the kingdom and what it would be like to pray as a, as a victorious warrior in the kingdom as believers in Jesus. And I just, I just couldn't skip this as I was uh, parading through Ephesians. In verse 20, it's very interesting what Paul asks for and what he doesn't ask for. We started with power. Here's what we have in Jesus. Here's what we need power for. Here's all the power sections in Ephesians. And at the very end, Paul says this, verse 20. I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that, ready for this? Pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. If you were Paul, wouldn't you be tempted to say, pray that I get out of this place? I mean, sometimes it's as important what he doesn't say as what he does. What, what do we learn from that? I mean, I, I really don't know the answer to that question. It's not like um, jailbreak is out of the realm of possibility in the, in the sovereign work of God, right? I mean, you see it all through the scriptures, God bringing people out of horrible situations and Paul, with this experience of love and power, does not say, pray that I'll get out of this place. He says, pray that I will continue to have God's words and I'll speak them boldly. I'm just struck by that. I don't know what to make of it. I just think it might inform the way we pray when we think about power. I'm not going to go through all the Greek words for power, as tempting and fascinating as that might be in this passage. But this power is described by Paul as the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And so we know that this power we're praying for, that we might understand it and believe it, we know that this power includes the ability of God in and through those who believe to fulfill the commission of Jesus. One of those, Matthew 10, 8, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, drive out demons, freely you've received, freely give. So all of that is in the realm of this power for us who believe. This power is not an abstract energy. It's not a theoretical claim of what God can do, but it's a declaration of what God actually does. 
this incredibly great and awesome power of the great and awesome God intended for and on behalf of you and me. I just looked at it as this, the power working in and through every single follower of Jesus is pervasive into every realm. There is no realm of your life in which the power of God can't be manifest for those who believe. There's my introduction. Now we get to the actual passage. Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. I, I really just want to say a couple things about this power. It's the power over every realm. It's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's the power that exalted Jesus to heaven. It's the power that took Jesus from death to life, preserved him in life, took him from life into heaven to be exalted at the right hand of God, from life to eternity. There is no aspect of our lives untouchable by the power of God. Paul's writing to the Romans, Romans 8, 31 and following. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. It's like Paul likes that theme. He likes to give us the, the, the utter supremacy of Jesus over death, in life, over life, and all things in heaven. The power at work in us is the power that raised Jesus from the dead, that exalted him to the right hand of God, where... You know what Jesus is doing now? He's praying for us. Jesus right now is like, oh, I'm praying for Andy. He needs it bad down there today. He's praying for us. That's what the scripture says. Jesus is interceding for us now that we might understand that power, that we might believe in that power. Amen. There's someone crying out for power right there. So how do we come to understand the power that is available to us who believe? Question is, if you know what's possible, do you then believe it? Or do you believe and then find out what's possible? How, how does that work? Do you know what's possible? And you're like, oh man, that's amazing. I believe it. Or do you believe and following belief find out what's actually possible? It has to be the work of God that will help us understand God's power and actually believe. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have to ask God to do it. So this has got to be the work of God, but somehow we cooperate with the work of God. And I would say our part is the believing. Our part is the believing. 
Our part is placing our confidence in God that that power could be, might be, will be manifest in our lives. We test it. We experiment. We take risks. How else do you know if you can do something except by trying to do it, right? When you watch a child, you know, learn how to walk or do whatever they're learning, the only way they can find out if they can do it is by trying it over and over and over again. How else will we understand the power that is for us who believe unless we believe and attempt something for God? And so you think to yourself, but in these places where I want God's power, I feel so weak. I think that's the point. I think that's exactly the point. The place where we're least tempted to believe God's power could come in uh, is the place where God's power will come in when we recognize I can't do it. It's not mine to do. I don't have the power within myself. We wouldn't need God's power if we were strong. So Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, you probably knew I was going to end up here. My grace is sufficient for you, God said to Paul, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul goes on to say that he will boast of his weakness. Why? Because he's a nut job. No. Because he wants the power of God to rest on him. That's why Paul says, Paul says, I will boast about my weakness. Why? Because I want the power of God to rest on me. It's, it's so countercultural, it's so counterintuitive, but it's only when we recognize, and Paul would say, boast about weakness, that the power of God then rests on us. So we've got to attempt the impossible in order to experience the power of God. How, how else will we know it's God's power unless we try to do something that can't be done without his power? So the question for us from all of this is, do we want the power of God to rest on us? And I don't mean just do we want the power of God like signs and wonders and miracles. We do. I want that. I want to see people healed from cancer. I want to see the lame walk. I want to see demons go out of people. I want to see, all, I want to see the dead raised. I want to see all that. But I want the power of God to rest on me, not just for those things, but for incredible love, for unfathomable forgiveness, for generosity like the world has never seen. In what realm do you want to believe for God's power? For what have you given up hope in your life? Where's the place in your life where you've said, this is impossible? This can't happen. I've prayed so many times. I've been so disappointed. Despair is my best friend, you know, over and over. Where is that place in your life? I think that's where God would have you begin. This is the part of the message where I would tell a story that moves you to believe and inspires you to act and compels consideration. This is where I would do that, except for this. The story is you. Today is not about somebody else believing. 
that God's power is available to them. The power that gave all these things in Christ, the power to do all these things in the world, the power that brought Jesus back from the dead and raised him up so he could pray for us. The story is not about somebody else believing. The story is about you and me believing today. I was sitting here in worship. This doesn't always happen to me. I'm not Mr. Compassionate Guy all the time. But I was feeling the room. You know what that's like? You're just feeling. Like I know a lot of you. There's a lot of heavy stuff. There's a lot of challenge in this room. There's a lot of challenge in this room, in this city, in the church, in the world. It's heavy. And I just felt the, the sense of it's, it's too much. It's, it's too much. It's, it's too much. And Marianne, I, I won't be able to quote your words, but Marianne came to me sometime during communion, and she just, she said something beautiful. But in the end of it was, God's more than enough. Is that what you said to me? God is more than enough. God is more than enough. And it was so encouraging to me because I could feel everyone's not enough. I could feel everyone's not enough. I could feel my own not enough. And the, the, the good news of the gospel is it, God is more than enough. The power that brought Jesus back from the dead, the power that sustained Jesus in a perfect life, the power that took Jesus from life into heaven so that he could be supreme over all things, the same power that will bring him back and take us with him forever in eternity to be in his glorious presence. That power is here now. That power is accessible to you who believe. It's not about somebody else believing today. It's about us. And it's not about theory. It's about action. Power over every realm. Let's stand. I'm not going to ask the ministry team to come up yet. Maybe we will get to that. I'm not sure. But for now, I just want to ask some questions. I just want us to be souls before God. Just your individual soul before God. However you want to make yourself uh, open to God, close your eyes, open your eyes, hands out, however you want. You want to kneel, you want to move in the room, whatever you want to do. I just want to ask a couple questions and then pray for us. Where are you needy? This morning, where are you needy? Where are you desperate this morning? Where do you feel hopeless this morning? Where do you need God's power like you've never needed it before in your life today? Holy Spirit, I ask now that you would move among us and stir faith. Even as these places of need and desperation and despair come to our mind, God, I ask that you would infuse to us this morning faith. God, be true to to the prayer that you gave Paul to give us. God, would you help us to understand the immeasurable greatness of the power 
for us who believe so that this morning we might believe. I ask the ministry team to come forward, but I want to stay in this place of prayer. So if ministry team could just make your way up. I want you to just be before God and be honest with God. He can handle your honesty. He can handle your feelings. He's inspiring faith this morning. So as you're waiting in God's presence, I dare you. I, I dare you to ask God to do what you know you can't do, but you need desperately in your own life or for someone that you care about. If you'd like someone to, to pray for you or with you, I'd encourage you to come forward. Let one of the ministry team pray for you. I just want to take about another minute and just wait quiet. some of you this morning that feel like the impossible is, is for somebody else. There's someone in your family that needs to meet Jesus and you don't know how it's ever going to happen. Pray for him this morning. For some, it's a, it's a relationship that you think will never find reconciliation. There's no chance. The power of God is available for us who believe. So take all the time that you like to be here in the sanctuary. Be before God. Ask the ministry team to pray for you. Pray for one another as you go. God bless you with his power. Give us some info on her picture in just a minute. Hi, my name's Brittany. I'm a great believer in Jesus Christ. Um, instinct. Uh, so it was interesting because I got to kind of sit with the theme for a week. Nope. Okay. <laughs> We're also gear shifting from like artists to social. So good luck. Go ahead. Um, it was interesting because I was trying to think about what it looked like in history of what it looked like for the resurrection. resurrection and it was this idea of um, it being black and white. And there's still like there's still depth to it and there's still this space for it. But there's a reason why there is the power between Christ. And for me, it was color. And it was what it came alive. And so this is, um, well, we have we have all the different seasons. We have space, not seasons, so space. And then for me, one of my favorite things is watching storms roll in. Um, right? Um, I love, I love when the sky lights up and you know, you know it's going to be amazing. But you have all those clouds and depth and color and you know, you know in some places there's going to be turbulence. And you know things are going to get washed away, but there's also going to be growth. 
And so for me, this is this idea of what it looks like to walk through all the different seasons with Christ, the ones that are incredible and amazing, and then the ones that are like, I don't know how deep the ocean is. Like, and so this idea of all the different places, and then with it, having spaces and places and people that are safe. Um, and so this is kind of um, where I'm at. Um, so, yeah. Thanks, Courtney. That's good. Amen. If you'd like prayer, come on forward. Otherwise, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen.